humans. Hello, humans. Hello, hello. Happy Monday. Happy first Monday of 2019. It's Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being here and allowing me to occupy a part of your brain for the next hour or however much time that you can give me. Did you have good holidays? I hope that you did. I really hope that you did. And we are, you know, we are now entering the second year of LE 2.0 Radio, which I'm just so incredibly thrilled about. Um, and, and listeners, thank you for um, a really successful first year because many of you wrote in and said that you like what we're doing. I run into you uh, sometimes on the street and you're like, Ellie Krug, hey, I listen to your show. And I'm like so humbled when I hear that. So... All right, we took a bit of a break over the holidays, but now I'm back with a fresh show highlighting idealists and my work as an idealist. Um, I should probably say, and regular listeners, you know where I'm going right now. For those of you who are brand new, cut tuning into LE 2.0 Radio for the first time in 2019, never heard me before, just please note, okay, I sound like a man on the radio, which much to my chagrin, but my name is Ellie Krug, and that's because I am a transgender woman, one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world, although at this rate we're probably getting more and more, and I'm, maybe I need to redo that. Okay, so this show we talk about ideal, idealists, and this week we're going to talk about Melvin Carter, the relatively new mayor of St. Paul. He is our idealist that I want to feature. This week we also have a big interview of a young idealist I met in Richmond, Virginia, a couple of months ago when I spoke there. And finally, um, by the time we're done here, I'll talk about an interesting experience I had in San Francisco last month. So let's get started with Melvin Carter. St. Paul's newish, may, newish, <laughs> newish mayor. Um, he is truly an idealist. I had believed that about him, given his trajectory, um, working to change the social justice landscape when he was a St. Paul City Council member, um, and and when he did some other things. But I actually recently got to hear him speak, and it just absolutely confirmed everything I thought about him in terms of being an idealist. Melvin Carter grew up in St. Paul. His father was a police officer. His mother was a teacher who later became a county commissioner. Melvin Carter's official bio talks about his great-grandparents fleeing racial violence in Paris, Texas, for St. Paul um, several decades ago. Um, uh, Mayor Carter has a B.A. Um, from, uh, in business administration from Florida A&M University and a master's degree in public policy from the Humphrey Institute. He was a member of the St. Paul City Council from 2008 to 2013, where he worked on housing issues, policing issues, and on the Green Line. You know, they wanted to put the Green Line through. Um, and he fought for more stops, particularly in the Frogtown area, so that people from lower income, um, people who's everyday working people, had better access to um, public transit. Uh, subsequently, Governor Dayton uh, tapped Mayor Carter, back before he was a mayor, to become the executive director of the Minnesota Children's Cabinet, advising on early childhood education. And you may recall that when he was governor, um, Governor Dayton... Um, was a big proponent of early childhood education. Um, Mayor Carter's idealism, which is something I, I picked up from through the campaign, um, was actually confirmed to me in, you know, shining bright lights um, when I recently attended a meeting where, um, which uh, preceded a training I did for a city of St. Paul team member. So I have a contract with the city of St. Paul to train many uh, St. Paul um, employees and team members on human inclusivity. And before the first training that I did, which was um, last month, there was a meeting with many, many people from the city to talk about uh, the racial and uh, social equity work that the city was doing. And the mayor came and spoke. And... Um, he, he talked for about 20 minutes. I mean, I've got to tell you, this man, if you've ever heard him speak, I mean, he has got, he's got, he's like the Energizer Bunny in terms of the way that he speaks. I am so jealous of his speaking style because he exudes charisma. He, he absolutely does that. He is funny. Um, he's self-deprecating. 
he knows how to he knows how to move work a crowd um i was just it was just quite wonderful and most of all he's a great storyteller you know so the people who can lead well can tell can tell stories well because of course we're a society of storytellers and story listeners that's actually how we learn about things and and frankly he's ex- uh, mayor carter is exceedingly passionate and authentic I, are you getting a sense here that i'm you know i'm fangirling him um i mean he is he's very authentic i mean i nothing that i see about this man is fake whatsoever he certainly seems to believe everything that he talks about so I'm in a room while he's speaking, this 20-minute talk, um, and, uh, and, and, and part of that meeting, um, you know, he, he spoke about meeting people where, where they were at. And, and, and part of what got him to City Hall was the idea that people who have not had voices in St. Paul, the invisible people, that is the people, the working poor, the people who are every day who, you know, just get caught up and end up having to do things because the people in power say this is the direction we're going. That Mayor Carter touted himself, and I believe he is actually trying to do it, um, as a, a person of the people who's going to speak for the people who don't have voices. And those are people of color, people who lack resources, people from marginalized communities. And what I loved about that 20-minute talk where I was present, he talked about the power of using imagination. And that's something, I mean, not to say, you know, Ellie Krug jump on the bandwagon, but actually that's something I talk about as an idealist, the need to use our imagination because all too often we are caught up in rote. We're caught up in doing the same thing at the same time. And the lack of imagination uh, prevents us from getting past obstacles. Part of the reason that Bernie Sanders was so popular, he used his imagination in ways that most politicians don't. And he came up with these concepts, you know, universal education. The way that he talked about it, I mean, if you are going, if you are trying to preserve the status quo, you are not using your imagination. And what I loved about uh, Mayor Carter's speech um, last month when I heard him speak was that he gave an example of St. Paul, what I'm going to call the new St. Paul, actually, an example of how they're trying to use their imagination, and that was uh, um, coming to a policy of eliminating library fines. Throughout the entire library system in St. Paul, they eliminated Library fines. They wiped out the library fine debt, and they're no longer fining people for overdue books. Now, you might so- that that might sound kind of silly, but hold on a second. First of all, they realized that they were spending more money trying to collect library fines than there were actually library fines on file. Secondly, the, what library fines do is that they impact low-income communities far more than they impact higher income communities. And in fact, when there are there are fines that are outstanding, they tend to keep people from going to the library because people are afraid of being confronted. People are afraid, well, gosh, I can't go there. They're going to ask me about the fine, and now I'm afraid to bring the book back because now it's going to cost me so much to even bring the book back. And so I thought it was ingenious. I mean, I thought it was ingenious that they decided to eliminate library fines. And the re- the reason I'm bringing this up is that because Mayor Carter, the idealist that he is, he set the platform where people can use their imagination and come up with things like that. There were other things he talked about in this talk, uh, the 20-minute talk last month that I attended, about other examples of imagination, but they haven't they haven't brought those public yet, so I can't talk about those other than I just want to tell you, I am just so excited about the way they're thinking over in St. Paul. I really am. And I know there are many people listening to my voice who are in Minneapolis who never go to St. Paul and vice versa. People from St. Paul don't ever come to Minneapolis. We need to get past that, frankly, okay, because we're all one part of a larger larger metro. But more importantly, we're all one part of a larger human world, human race world here. And what eliminating, uh, let, before I move on from that, eliminating library fines is, is that it, it helps people feel as if they matter. And that's really what and, – and using your imagination, giving people license to use your imagination as ways – let's talk about how we can change the world for better. Use your imagination. What that does, it gives people a sense that people you're, you're charging with using their imagination, it gives them a sense that they matter. And that's what human inclusivity is all about. Human inclusivity is about making people feel as if they matter. 
And so um, I look forward to more good work, more idealistic um, behavior and words from Mayor Carter. I look forward to the changes that he is, the future changes that he and his team are going to implement in St. Paul. This is what it's all about. This is about changing the world. And we need people like Mayor Carter to help us do that. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. I'd love to hear from you at ellijkrug at gmail. I love hearing from the listeners. When we come back, um, we'll do our big interview, and then we'll do my C-block. Thanks. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Rudy Luther Toyota has a great selection of new vehicles, but Rudy Luther is also one of the largest volume Toyota certified used vehicle dealers in the country. They have better prices than many non-certified dealers, and they offer a seven-year, 100,000-mile warranty, feature incredibly low interest rates, and all their vehicles go through a comprehensive inspection and reconditioning process. And right now, they're paying top dollar for your trade-in, even if you don't buy from them. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. The fine folks at Common Good Books will help you find the perfect book for you or the book lover in your life. Find a huge selection from a locally owned and independent bookseller in the Twin Cities. They are always bringing in top authors from around the globe for special in-store events. Open Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Sundays, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Find Common Good Books at 38 South Snelling Avenue in St. Paul or shop online at commongoodbooks.com. Did you realize that Drink in the Style is available on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much every other podcast platform out there? You can listen to past episodes of Drink in the Style or maybe download our really cool martini glass graphic or just listen to your favorite episode again and again. But if you do, I need to ask you for a quick favor. Hop online and give us a five-star rating. It helps others find the show and also boosts my fragile ego. Drink in the Style. It's a great way to kill Sundays or really anytime at all. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we are back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. Um, you know, we just got done speaking about... Um, St. Paul Mayor Melvin Carter, a young idealist, a young 39-year-old. I mean, boy, well, anyway, he looks marvelous. Um, And now we're going to, for the big interview, we have another young idealist. I have on the line with me Hadil Abu Hasariya, who who is a young, very young, 27-year-old lawyer from Richmond, Virginia, and uh, Hadil is of Palestinian descent. Um, Hadil, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. How are you? I'm well, Ellie. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm I'm just thrilled to have you here. And um, and let's uh, let's go back over your last name again because I don't think I pronounced it correctly. So, what is your last name? So we at least get it one right once on this show. 
No problem. It's Abu Hasira. Okay. All right. Thank you, Hadil. So, uh, listeners, I met Hadil um, a couple of months ago when I uh, presented in Richmond, Virginia, to a group of legal professionals. And uh, Hadil was in my was in the audience, and I noticed you, Hadil, as I think I've told you. I, I noticed you from the beginning. You seemed very engaged in what we were doing with gray area thinking, um, and uh, you know. And you may recall, as part of gray area thinking, we have the identity game, which uh, many of my listeners are aware of because we talk about my work, um, which involves vulnerability, and you. Um, you uh, allowed yourself to be vulnerable as we did that exercise. Do you remember that? Absolutely, yes, I do. You know, and um, and in particular, we had um, one uh, prompt during the uh, the exercise where we asked people to go stand by signs, and the prompt is the identity I struggle with the most on a day to day basis. And you stood under a sign that said um, that says essentially um, not good enough um, slash failure. And somebody afterwards gave me a note about you and said, Ellie, you would not believe that, but she is one of the, the high risers here in Richmond. You recently were named, what, one of, the, um, one of the top 40 under 40 people in the Richmond area. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, see, okay, I'm, now I'm starting to embarrass you. <laughs> and we're gonna, no, no. Okay, and we're going to start getting you to talk here. Hadil. Um, I wanted to talk with you because um, you are in Richmond, Virginia, which is, I think we can say, the South. You are of Palestinian descent, right? Mm -hmm. That's you, right. You come from two parents who were, who one who was born in Palestine and, and uh, your mother was born in Beirut. And then when you were younger, I mean, you were born in the U.S. Is that, I have that right, Correct. That's correct, yep, okay. Johnson City, Tennessee. Give us a little bit about your family's story, if you would, about how your parents yeah. came to the U.S. and and then how how being Palestinian in Johnson uh, City, uh, Tennessee, and then in Richmond has shaped your view of not only the world, but of how you want to make a difference in the world. Long question, yeah. but big question, but go ahead. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so my parents are... Wonderful, lovely Palestinian Muslim, now Americans. Um, they came to the United States in 1991. Um, before they came, they were in Saudi Arabia um, for several years. My dad went to medical school in Egypt for a while. Um, but my parents bounced back and forth throughout the Middle East. Um, but at, at core, I am a Palestinian woman. Um, so my parents came over here to Johnson City, Tennessee, with my older brother, um, Johnson City is a small town. Um, I love that town. I miss it very much. Um, but certainly we all looked a little different from everybody else. Um, I'm darker skin than other people. And I have, at least then, people tell me I don't have it anymore, but I had such a big nose and I just stood out <laughs> like a sore thumb everywhere that I was. Um, you know, I never wore the hijab or anything, but certainly we looked different. I practiced Islam um, fairly religiously when I was growing up, and so if it was Ramadan, I was fasting, and I wasn't eating lunch with my fellow classmates, or I was praying in the middle of the day, um, and the same with my parents. So um, certainly in Johnson City, Tennessee, I think it was actually a little different for me because we had such a tight-knit group of um, the, the Muslim Middle Eastern community there, and that was my group of friends, and, and certainly I did feel a little out of place in school, and received a lot of questions. Why are you doing this? Why do you dress like this? Why do you look like this? Or, hey, you look funny. You have a big nose. Why do you have such a big nose? And, um, you know, I went through that growing up as a kid, but I think the harder part for me um, as a Palestinian woman was coming to Richmond as I got a little older and as kids got a little meaner in school. It was still the, hey, you look different. You have a big nose. What's your problem? Um, but it hurt more. You know, the older I got, it hurt a little bit more. Right. So, Right. Um, it certainly shaped who I became um, through middle school and through high school. And I think once I finally got out of high school, I was able to appreciate my differences and be able to start giving back to the community and learning, you know, what value I can add as someone with a different perspective and someone who was raised a little bit differently than my peers. Um, but it's still a struggle every day. Well, let's, it is rich. <laughs> well, right. Well, let's, I mean, one of the things that you had told me is that your mom did wear a hijab um, in Johnson City for a period of time. 
And then she encountered an incident where somebody threatened to hurt her. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And she took it off and she hasn't worn it again. And um, we were in Johnson City when 9-11 happened as well. And so I do recall being called a terrorist and, um, you know, kind of being picked on a little bit more after that incident, which was a terrible incident. But I think the hardest part for me was to watch my parents and to watch my older brother kind of go through um, um, being called names and being treated differently. And, um, you know, Muslims did it, so all Muslims must be the same. You must all be terrorists. And there was a lot of that, but um, on the other side of that, there was always an out or of support from those who knew my family, who were able to look past the fact that they were Muslims and know that they were people and they were good people. And um, it was a fourth grade, eight years, nine-year-old kid. Um, right. But it's it, it sort of been difficult for all of us. Right. But those kinds of things leave marks on us forever and in a variety of ways. You know, and... Um, and... and uh, and so let's just at least bring the audience forward. So your your dad was, he's a doctor, and he worked at the VA in Johnson City, and then ultimately he came to Richmond. Is that right? That's right. To work that's for the correct. VA as well in Richmond? Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. Yep. And so that's how you got to Richmond. And then ultimately, yep. eventually, you graduated from high school in Richmond. Then you went to college also in Richmond. Is that right? I did. I went to VCU for undergrad. Okay. All right. And uh, VCU was that's Virginia Commonwealth University. That's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, we all have our local names for our colleges, and that's so right. yeah. you know, if I said the U to you, you might not know, but everybody here does know what the U is. Okay. And yeah. so, and so, and and then um, you went off to law school. Where did you do that at? I went to University of Virginia. Okay, yeah, very prestigious uh, law school, by the way. And then you're now working with uh, the largest, uh, one of the largest law firms in the South, uh, Williams Mullen. And, um, Mm -hmm. and, and, And so now I've got the stage set for when we come back from our break. I want to talk with you about you being an idealist in Richmond and the struggle of building a career at the same time, okay, because there's a tension there. All right, we'll do that when we come back from our break. Listeners, we've been speaking with Hadil Abu Hasira um, from Richmond, Virginia. I am not doing good with the last name. If you like what you hear on the show, email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. I love hearing Gmail. I love hearing from you. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Yay, you survived the holidays. Now what about cleaning up that holiday mess? My friends, it's time you learn my holiday hangover secret. It's Zero Res. Fortunately for you, right now is the best time of the year to call Zero Res. Get three rooms clean starting at just 119 bucks. And this month only get a hallway clean for free with their three-room special. Call 952-ZERO-RES or book online anytime at ZeroResMinnesota.com. Spell it backward or forward. It spells the same. Zero Res. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Hi, I'm Matt McNeil, and I want to encourage you to join me weekday afternoons at 3 p.m. for The Matt McNeil Show. It's a Twin Cities-based full hour of talk where we discuss what's going on in the state and in the nation from a Minnesota perspective. We'll be joined by a lot of great guests, and we'll take your phone calls. Interact with us on the Twitter page, at Matt McNeil Show, the Facebook page, Progressive Citizen X, The Matt McNeil Show, and on email. Comment at am950radio.com. The Matt McNeil Show, weekday afternoons at 3, right here on AM950. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. 
Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Today, expect fog before 11 a.m., gradually clearing up as the highs reach 40s. And tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 26. Tuesday, mostly cloudy with a high near 27 and a low around 8. Eat Local Minnesota is a great way to find locally owned Minnesota restaurants. Make sure the money you spend stays local. Featuring great restaurants such as Burger Moe's, The Bad Waitress, Cafe Latte, and more. Find a full list of restaurants at eatlocalminnesota.com. We are back on LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. You're listening to me, your host, Ellie Krug. I've been speaking with Hadil Abu Hasira, who is a lawyer in Richmond, Virginia, a 27-year-old lawyer in Richmond, Virginia, working with the Williams Mullen Law Firm, one of the largest law firms in the South, certainly very prestigious law firm. And before we broke, we, we brought you up to date, you know, that... Hadil is working for that firm. She's a graduate of the University of Virginia Law School. And Hadil and I met each other when I did a training in Richmond a couple of months ago. So, Hadil, before we broke, um, we started to talk about you working for uh, uh, Williams Mullen. Can you give us an idea of the kind of work that you're doing and how that kind of feeds into your desire to make a difference in the world as an idealist? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I mentioned earlier that my parents came from Saudi Arabia, so they went through the U.S. immigration system. Um, I was born in the U.S., so I didn't go through it, but I did watch them. Um, and it's a very complex system. So in my work now, I am a, I'm an immigration lawyer. I focus on business immigration. I help companies and employees obtain work visas and green cards. Um, and it might sound boring on the radio, but I can assure you that it is a very um, complex yet very rewarding career. I don't think I it's a, do. certainly in the in yeah. the in the state of where our country is right now. I can imagine it's not boring at all, and I can imagine what you're doing is um, kind of whack-a-mole in terms of the yeah. way that things are being popped up um, towards you to make it more difficult to bring uh, yeah. foreign-born people here. Absolutely, it has gotten more difficult. This is my fourth year practicing. Um, business immigration law, and it has certainly become more difficult over the years. Um, that being said, I get to work with people all over the world. I get to work with companies who are based all over the world, and I get to help families navigate the immigration system, companies navigate the immigration system, and oftentimes get them either a short-term or a long-term um, visa or green card so they can stay. And there is nothing more rewarding to me than that moment when you get a call or an email from someone that you've been working with for months or years and they say, thank you so much. You have changed my family's life. My kids can go to school here now. Um, you know, I love where I live and it can be anywhere in the U.S., but it is such a rewarding career to be able to work with people who are so very grateful for your help in getting them to the U.S. And what are you, what are you finding in your work about apprehension about the United States? I mean... Notwithstanding what's going on uh, with the current political climate, are people still, are they still eager to come here or are they more apprehensive and fearful of what it might bring once they are here? Um, that's a that's a good question. So I think the majority of what I'm getting back is I'm really nervous about the interview. I'm really nervous about um, going through this process. I mean, the, inter the interview they, with immigration folks. Exactly, exactly, yep. yes. I'm really, 
anxious about that process because I, you know, there's already kind of unfortunately a bias against them because they're foreign. They're not U.S. and we've just got this animus against foreign individuals right now and it breaks my heart. But um, once once they get here, I think they're generally, these, these foreign workers and families are very happy to be here. And I think I'm still seeing a lot of excitement to come to the U.S. and bring your family to the U.S. despite everything that's going on. It's just more fear of hey, you know, what's going to happen um, at my interview? What's going to happen, you know, when I go in for my extension? Is is it all going to go smoothly? And unfortunately, I can't give the same type of assurances that I was able to give two years ago about, hey, you're going to be fine. You know, you can have some of the most qualified people in the world applying for visas, and they're just not getting through right now, and that absolutely crushes Right. Well, and of course, from a long-term perspective, Hadil, that does not bode well for our country. Because our, you know, I mean, you know, what's the study about the number of major uh, companies, uh, you know, the top 50 companies built, you know, that were um, thought of and were originated and founded by people foreign born who immigrated to the United States? I mean, this does not bode well as we shut our, you know, shut our doors or make it more difficult for people to come. Um, Are you finding and uh, I you know, you and I didn't uh, talk about this in advance, so I might throw you a curve here. But are you finding that people from white majority countries are getting a much easier pass to come to the U.S. compared to people from countries where you know the the skin of 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 those of the people who live in those countries is darker, or that the religion is not uh, Christianity based? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, there's certainly been more animus towards certain countries from you know the, all the travel ban news um, that we dealt with in the last few right, years. But right. generally speaking, on the business side, I am not seeing that it is more difficult for someone from a non-white majority country. Um, I will say there are certain countries that are more difficult than others, but some of those may be um majority white. The UK is unfortunately a, a more difficult one right now to get through. The consulates are a little more challenging. Um, same with India, um, same with places in South America. But generally, I think we're seeing the same type of patterns across the board, regardless of which country you're okay. coming from. It's just harder. Okay. So let's talk about your idealism because you've... and. and you know, you you know. I'm. I mean, audience members. I'm a lawyer. I had a, lo- a large firm background as well as a small firm background, and I know when you're a young lawyer working in a law a large firm, there's a lot of pressure. Generally, I mean, regardless of whether it's Williams Mullen or you know wherever else in the in the in the country, and so you've got pressure to produce in terms of billing time, you have pressure to show up and and make a, a name for yourself within the firm. But Hadil, you are also an idealist. You are trying to change the world as well, and so. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about what you're trying to do in, in Richmond to make the world a better place? And how are you balancing that? Because we don't want our young idealists to become burned out. Yeah. Um, so I think as far as what I'm doing, I am, of course, very busy. As you know, Ellie, working at a law firm as a young associate is difficult. But I think when you find the things that you are most passionate about, you can make time for them. And it doesn't feel like an additional burden. But I am involved with two very special organizations um, and the firm has been very supportive in letting me kind of pick where I take my passions and and how I serve the community. But I am involved with the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities, which focuses on diversity and inclusion throughout the the Commonwealth of Virginia, um, as well as YWCA Richmond, which focuses on eliminating racism, um, supporting survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault, and empowering women. And all of those things are very near and dear to my heart so um, you know while I don't have unfortunately all the time to go out and do the 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 tough volunteering and going to the hospitals with the survivors or doing any trainings I am serving on two boards in my community that represent areas that I'm very very passionate about and I I hope we can um, change in the world especially the diversity and inclusion and eliminating racism piece well you know I train a lot of non- uh, a lot of nonprofit boards, 
And one of the things that I talk about, so I'm going to talk to you as a board member of two large organizations, important organizations that can help change the landscape in Richmond. You know, really, the board does drive the organization. I mean, yes, you have the executive director and their team, which is doing the day-to-day, but the board can set the priorities. And if the priority is we're going to do X or Y, this is something that's important. I mean, the organization needs to do that. And so how are you how are you finding as a 27-year-old? I mean, I assume that you are bringing things up in board meetings that maybe other people are not bringing up. Given your background, I mean, you know what you've gone through and there I'm going to I'm going to assume there are many on those boards that don't have the background that you have. They haven't seen the kind of the kind of prejudice, the kind of marginalization that you've gone through. Yeah, I will say um both Organizations do a very good job of, of staffing their boards with diverse candidates. Um, I think that my background is certainly unique from a lot of people on both organizations' boards. And I, as a younger um, member of those boards, I'm able to offer different insight about what's important to someone, you know, in my generation. Or what about being a young Palestinian female lawyer, how does that affect, you know, um, uh, how the community works and and how um, diversity and inclusion should be seen from that perspective. So I certainly think I'm able to offer a different perspective on both organizations, but it's also rewarding for me because there is such diversity on both boards that I'm also learning from those board members. And I think together we can do so much better than anything that I can do on my own, but they're, they're both so very supportive um, very willing to listen to my points of view, and I just um, I'm I'm honored that they are letting me be a part of it as such a young member of both organizations. But certainly, I do have a much different background than a lot of the people right. that I serve with. Well, and I would urge you, you know, from idealist to idealist here, continue to speak up. I mean, I I think that there's always the risk, particularly, and, and I know, I mean, I've been on boards as well. I'm currently on boards. There's always the risk that if you are the younger person, that you're going to be, you know, that somebody older is going to act as if they know better than you. Um, and there's the risk of, you know, not, not you know, feeling like you don't have the um, option to speak up or to challenge what somebody is saying. Um, right. Now, one last thing before we have to go. You're in Richmond. It is the South. How does that come into play? I mean, I, I've been to Richmond. It's a beautiful city. The people were very welcoming um, when I was there. You know, and I'm other, like you are other. Um, but how, I mean, how how does the South, South come into play? Is, is it changing? You know, I mean, you're not too far from Charlottesville where we had horrible things happen last year. Right. Um, it is. There are parts of Richmond, I think, that are that need a lot more changing than others. And I grew up and have lived in all different parts of Richmond. Um, you know, whether it was Midlothian, Virginia, where I went to um, middle school and high school, to downtown Richmond, where I work, or where I went to to college. Um, there's certainly a lot of work that can be done in both the suburbs and the city. Um, it is certainly a challenge, both as a Palestinian. Um, woman and to have a network, a group of friends that is also other um, and to see what challenges we each face and how we can support each other and do better. Um, Richmond does have a long way to go, but I also think, and I learned this especially during this top 40 under 40 um, honor that I received this year, is there are so many great people doing so many great things in this community. So many of us who want to see Richmond be a better city. So many of us who know that people are people regardless of what we look like. And we're all humans with the same basic needs who just want to be loved and who just want to fit in. Um, and, and yeah, while it does have a long way to go, both in the suburbs, maybe more so in the suburbs than the city, um, I think it's getting there. And I think that, that being in a network of people who are trying to do good things, a network of idealists, I think we're going in the right direction. But We've got, we've got a ways to go. Well, Hadil, um, I just want to tell you, okay, keep going, all right? You're 27 years old. I have a feeling that there is a lot you are going to do in your life to help make the world a better place. I really, I believe in you. I want you to know that. I barely know you, 
but I believe in you. And just just continue to remember, okay, that you just simply by showing up are acting as a role model for other people who lack voices. Do never, ever underestimate the power of simply being present. And so... Um, so with that, I want to thank you for being on my show, and I just uh, wish you the very best as you go forward. Thank you so much, Ellie. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. This is uh, We've been speaking with Hadil Abu Hasira um, from Richmond, Virginia, a 27-year-old Palestinian who's also a lawyer with one of the largest law firms. Um, when we come back, uh, listeners, we'll do my C-Block, where I talk about my work, and I'll share with you about a trip I took to San Francisco recently. Thanks so very much. You're listening to LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Visit my website at elliekrug.com if you like what you hear. Thanks so very much. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Noel Restaurant reminds listeners that more and more veterans are returning home over the next few years, and many are local. These heroes have valuable professional skills, but they also need jobs. That's why Noel Restaurant is encouraging all local businesses. Let's make 2019 the year we hire smart and hire vets. That message was brought to you by Noel Restaurant, where they say, if you're barely hungry or as hungry as a bear, stop on in. That's Noel Restaurant at 1501 Riverwood Drive in Burnsville, saying USA all the way. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. At Burger Moe's, Mondays no longer need to be a drag. Dine on the beautiful patio for Burger Monday Madness every Monday after 4 p.m., where you can order any burger and fries off menu for just $6. Not valid on Excel event evenings. Burger Moe's offers 20 fresh, never-frozen burger varieties, as well as delicious appetizers, soups, salads, and unburgers, dogs, paninis, shakes, and desserts. Located at 242 West 7th Street in St. Paul, with plenty of free parking, and online at Burger Moe's. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we are back on LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Oh, Hadil, I'll tell you. I just I when I met her and I learned about her story, Palestinian young Palestinian woman, lawyer living in Richmond, Virginia, I said, you know what, there's a lot going on there. I wanted to have her on my radio show. I hope you found that of value because I thought she did a really great job. So now we are at my C block, okay, and this is where I talk about my work as an idealist. 
Um, and, uh, you know, the station owner, Chad Larson, God love you, Chad. You know, he's like, Ellie, we want you to talk about what you do in the world. And so I'm always trying to wa- walk that fine line about not being braggadocious because I don't like to do that. But I am an idealist. So let me talk about um, something that happened to me last month. Um, right before Christmas in San Francisco. I travel a lot. I, I, I go across North America quite a bit. Last year, by the way, I did 176 trainings um, in a lot of different places. Um, and my last trip of last year um, was to San Francisco. Um, I, I spoke in the morning for three hours to the um, League of California Cities. And at noon, I was done. And so what I did is I gave myself a gift, and I decided that I'd stay in San Francisco extra couple days so that I could, you know, take in the city. I've been there quite a bit, um, but a lot, uh, not a whole lot to be able to just stay stay there. I mean, the time before that, I was in San Francisco, not even twenty two hours, and I'm like, well, I'm going to spend some more time. And so. Um, While I was in San Francisco, I saw friends. Um, I did some touristy things. I got my first cable car ride. I walked um, uh, the pier area a little bit. It was 60 degrees. Sorry to rub that in um, when it was 20 degrees here in Minneapolis. Um, And among other things that I did, I'm a Buddhist, and I went to the local Zen center um, in San Francisco. Actually, is the very first Zen center um, in the United States. Um, I went to a talk called uh, Queer Dharma, <laughs> and it, so it was all it was for LGBTQ people, and, and and just by coincidence, the topic on that at that talk was about inclusivity. I could have, you know, um, kind of fallen over when I heard that because that's of, of course what I do in the world. So it was interesting to sit in on a talk, somebody else talking about human inclusivity, and. Um, uh, before, on my way to the Zen Center, I, I uh, hailed a, an Uber, and my driver um, was an Afghan man. Um, he had an accent as we were driving, and, and um, I asked him how long he'd been driving for Uber. He said about five and a half years, and he asked what I did. I told him about human inclusivity, and he had an accent, and I felt I felt safe enough to ask what was his country of origin, and he said it was Afghanistan. And when I heard that, you know, I immediately reacted by saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry of what has happened to your country. And I relate to him that I had heard that the Afghan people are very friendly people. And I think that, I mean, and then he and I talked about what it was like to be uh, essentially a refugee here in the United States and and uh, about starting over and about the value of hard work. And we had a long conversation about persistence, how persistence is so incredibly important, regardless of what you're doing. But he dropped me off at the Buddhist Center, and I, I went there. And then I did something that I like to do, and, I, and that was I walked. So I was about, I don't know, 60, 70 blocks from the financial district where my hotel was. And I decided on this Saturday afternoon in San Francisco where it was about 60 degrees that I would walk back to the hotel. And as I did that, I was reminded of both the best and the worst of America. And I was reminded of a little bit of how we fool ourselves. So my, my walk first took me to Hayes Street in San Francisco. And in Hay Street, we are talking about seven or eight blocks of, of, of small retail shops, clothing stores, other kinds of goods, luggage stores, um, furniture stores. There are no name brand stores there. And I was told that um, San Francisco past Norton's wouldn't allow name brand stores to be on that street. These are all locally owned stores. And they're stores that, ca- that cater to high affluent people. I mean, I walked in, there was a beautiful red cardigan um, that was $260, and I'm sorry, that was just way too much money for that kind of kind of piece of clothing. But obviously, there were people there. The area was very, uh, many white people, many men people, it was a high area of gay people, and I was, I was struck by the affluence. I mean, it was a holiday season. There were people that were festive. There were holiday music. But the affluence was just striking to me. And then my journey took me forward. I continued on towards downtown. 
took me past the San Francisco Public Library where I stopped to use the restroom. And then just as I was starting to walk out of the uh, library, I had an afterthought. Hmm, I wonder if they have my book. I went to a computer terminal. I typed in my book, uh, the title of my book, Getting to Ellen, a memoir about love, honesty, and gender change. And guess what? Up popped my book. They had my book. Made me feel good. I resumed my journey. And then that took me through the Mission District in San Francisco. I walked. I walked past people who had obvious addiction issues, obvious mental health issues, people asleep, literally asleep on the, on the sidewalk. Um, at one point, I saw three police cars respond to some kind of an incident. Um, I, of course, just kept walking. But, but the, 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 the juxtaposition between Hayes Street and the Mission District, which was only separated by a matter of several blocks, was striking to me. Because it was about how America does not take care of the people who have lesser resources, lesser means, and larger challenges in life. And then I continued past the Mission District down to Union Square area where there was all kinds of holiday festivities going on. I went over to the Macy's, across from Macy's in Union Square. They must have had a two-story Christmas tree with sparkling lights on it. It was beautiful. But there were all these people around carrying bags from, you know, um, very expensive stores like like Macy's, um, like Lord & Taylor. All of that stuff, and again, reminded about the affluence and the difference between the haves and the have-nots. And eventually, um, walked through the financial district where, again, I saw people sleeping on the street. I saw people begging, a lot of people begging. And it just, all of that just fueled my, my desire to change the world, to make the world a better place, simply by walking through San Francisco. Okay, well, you've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio, where we talk about idealism. I need to thank our sponsors, the Pride Institute, which is a drug and alcohol and residential and outpatient recovery center. And Brending Electrolysis, tell Bev um, that, that I sent you because she does really great work. She's in St. Paul, but trust me, it is worth the drive. She does wonderful work. We'd love more sponsors. Um, So if you're thinking about sponsoring my show in 2019, please contact me at lhjkrug at gmail uh, um, or contact the station. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are just quite wonderful, and I look forward to working with you in 2019. And audience, I look forward to talking to you more. Take care. Bye.